Oh, die, welcome to the podcast. I'll see you next summer. Oh, die, your host, Raul Rodriguez. Here's with me, my Mercutio to my Romeo. Die, Billy Polyhan. William ah, Polyhan. <laughs> ah, you jest, sir. You jest. But no, seriously. <laughs> uh, you know it's different when Raul does the intro. Yes. As well. There's actually a reason for it, but am I going to say what it is? No. No, I don't think I will. But yeah. We have to change the canon sometimes. We do. We should have changed it two weeks ago, but that's that's neither here nor there. Yeah. But we are here to talk about uh, the end of another month. Mm-hmm. Thank you for tuning in. We've had a lot of fun with these yes. movies. And we're going to end it with a balls to the wall, crazy, definite staple in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, Romeo plus Juliet. And this is also our first Baz Luhrmann movie. Yeah. Took us long enough. Mm-hmm. Julie Tamor is just waiting in a corner. My moment will be soon. <laughs> Don't forget about the Wachowskis. The Wachowskis, too. Oh, we're going to get... Those are all the divisive filmmakers. We're going to get divisive on this bitch in the future. Well, more divisive. We've already talked about our boys. Yeah. Yeah, but... I'm also... This is going to be really interesting because I'm going to say something that people will be surprised of. When I was in school in Mexico... Shakespeare was not required reading. So I know stuff from Hamlet and Romeo and Juliet and Ham and the other ones by osmosis of different movies and TV shows. So I had never read the plays. Yeah, I was gonna ask you, were you made I, I figured it was different in Mexico, but mm-hmm. at least when I went to school, mm-hmm. it's always freshman year of high school. Mm-hmm. This is the always Romeo and Juliet is always the the Shakespeare story that's in high school, and you get divided up as either a Montague or a Capulet. Nice. Okay. I was a Montague. So that was the team Edward Team Jacob. Yes, but Montague is of course Romeo's household. Mm-hmm. So I would loved that because Mercutio is one of my favorite characters in all of Shakespeare. Like if I were to play any character in Shakespeare, if I were that good of an actor. I'd love to play Mercutio. It is a really good role. He's so he's just a fun person to be around. So charismatic, and I think in this movie in particular, it's one of my favorite Mercutios. We'll get to him. Yeah. So for me, when I was growing up, mostly it was a lot of like Spanish literature. So I never read anything like um I didn't read any Sherlock Holmes or any like uh William Shakespeare. It was only like Don Quixote. A Little Prince, a lot of Spanish stuff, like, um, uh, what was the name of that one? A uh, Hundred Years of Sorrow, uh, Cien Años de Amargura. So, you know, I think some people know about this, especially because they made a movie a few years ago about it. But we, uh, that's the thing, Shakespeare, I only knew, like, for example, Hamlet. I remember little parts of it from the Kenneth Branagh movie, and of course I saw The Lion King. So I know what Hamlet is about. but. That's the thing that I would like. That's the thing that I would like to explore in the future. If we do more Shakespeare, especially because this is a, our first time doing something really classy in the podcast. We're doing that Shakespeare play. And- <laughs> if you wanna, if you wanna, yeah, I love the air quotes that you mm-hmm. put over the word classy. But no, this is a legit uh, mm-hmm. Shakespeare adaptation. Like this is literally just Romeo. Well, it's Romeo plus Juliet. 
I'm gonna keep correcting you on that because that's what it's okay. That's what it's called. And <laughs> I forgot if I didn't say Romeo and or if I said Romeo and Juliet, I meant Romeo plus Juliet, the Leonardo mm-hmm. DiCaprio version. I have to version. ask you, as so you this... read the play, what do you think of this adaptation? I think it's one of the most faithful and best adaptations I've ever seen, and I did not think I was going to do that simply based on how it looks. Because this is a very bizarre looking movie. Yes, it is. Like it definitely has a, you can tell it's Baz Luhrmann and you know it when mm-hmm. you see it. Um, yeah, My other question will be, because I know that my boyfriend, he in high school, they made him watch the movie. Did they make you watch the movie when you were in high school? The Franco Zeffirelli version? Yes. No, yes, he got did. to see this version. In high school. Oh, I'm I'm actually really surprised I wasn't shown this mm-hmm. version. They probably could have. Yeah, because then I learned on TikTok there's a lot of people that are younger, like the Gen Cs, they're watching this version in high school. And so that's really interesting. I can see that. It definitely appeals to Gen Zers. Especially with... I mean, this came out the year of my birth, 1996. Damn. It's crazy to think about. But it's also nuts to think about. This was one year before Titanic came out. So this was just... Before Leo's life took a 180. Well, the biggest... He was already proving himself to be, like, a name that you should look out for because he had done... But Leo was a teen heartthrob. Oh, he was. Doing Romeo Plus and Juliet. But after Titanic, he became an actor. Oh, no, no, no. Like he was I... still... That cemented his status as a heartthrob. Young Leo... And there are three movies that I always look towards to uh, before Titanic, and then there's after Titanic. Like, the, the big prestige work. Because Critters 3 doesn't count. Uh, and that is What's Eating Gilbert Grape. That was the one where people started to take notice of, oh, this Leonardo DiCaprio kid, you know, he's he's got something. And then, uh, just for us, The Quick and the Dead. Yes! That was the one that had... That was literally, Titanic came out like a few months after that one. And then, of course, this movie. And then there was, of course, Claire Danes. And this was before, and the just beginning, John Lee Guzamo as well. Before his... He was taking, he was taking the stench of the Super Mario movie. <laughs> before, and he ended up working with Baz Luhrmann a few more times, actually. Mm-hmm. I'm a little surprised. I'm gonna... And I have said this many times on the podcast before. I have noticed that a lot of people complain today that a lot of movies, they're really always stale. But when you see something different, kind of like this, that involves melodrama, they complain about it. I'm like, you know that melodrama and Shakespeare is the basis of every single movie and novel ever made? Because it always goes back to Shakespeare. Yeah, this movie is over... is hundreds of years old or this story is hundreds of years old there's a very good reason why it's going to it's taught in classes in america and why we always look to shakespeare not only that because everything goes back to shakespeare because he's the king of drama and also most of melodrama and telenovelas are based on shakespeare and so well, he his drama is what he's most famous mm-hmm. for, but he's also famous for a lot of his comedies. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the difference between this movie and all the other Romeo and Juliet adaptations, is that it's kind of framed like a comedy. Mm. 
in this movie, or at least the first third of this is very much framed. Yeah, the first part of the movie, especially with the fast editing, it, it does feel like a comedy, though. We'll get into that. But what we have to preface is that, yeah, it's Romeo and Juliet, like, the play. Mm-hmm. All the plot points are there, and they literally use the same Shakespeare limerick, mm-hmm. which can be very distracting because... Especially because they're in the modern world. Well, modern world of the 90s, if you really want to put it that way. And I'm like, I didn't research this. In but this, like... Uh, this was not the United States. Did he record this movie in Brazil or Colombia? Cause... No, no, no. He filmed a little bit in Miami, but fi- filmed primarily in Mexico. Oh, that's why. I was like, this feels like all, Mexico. All the shores. Mm-hmm. Stuff. But yeah, it opens with the TV and the narrator talking about the Montagues and the Capulets. In this case, in the modern retelling, they are criminals, I suppose. and Like criminal lords? Yes, that have legitimate fronts. And I love that there is one building that says Capulet, the other one says Montague. And the heads of the houses... Mm-hmm. I don't know the women actresses, but the men actors that uh, Lord Capulet, the now late Paul Sorvino, and that is Juliet's side... The Montagues, Brian Dennehy, the now late Brian Dennehy, who I will always know as uh, Tommy Boy's uh, father. I'm pretty sure that the mom of Romeo, I'm pretty sure she's the mom of Two and a Half Men. She looks a lot like her. Hmm, maybe, maybe. Hold on, I'll, I'll look it up. But uh, yeah, we have the Montagues and the Capulets. And then scene, um, the thing, because I don't know the play, who is Randy portraying? And he's just one of the people from the families. Oh, Jamie Kennedy. Yes, he's one of ah, Romeo's so he's cousins. one of the cousins. Okay. Um, but in the play, the two people that are the two Montague mm-hmm. people are actually Capulet. Oh, okay. In the play, and well, it starts with the Montagues and the Capulets. In this case, they meet up in the in a gas station. Mm-hmm. I love that they called, and they're swords because they can't use literal swords are just guns i love that i thought it was ridiculous but we also and the focus on the gun that says sword (laughs) oh yes uh we have ben volio who is romeo's cousin and he's played by a guy named dash mahawk who was uh he he was in a show called ray donovan and it's a pretty decent show but Benvolio provokes a fight, and it happens to be with Tybalt, played by John Leguizamo, who is Juliet's cousin. Mm-hmm. Tybalt plays a pretty big part in the play, and he plays a pretty big part here. It's pretty much the same way that it goes down. It's like um, Bernardo in West Side Story. That's the equivalent. Yeah, I remember especially because I had never seen the original West Side Story. And when I went to see well, that I remake... Mean, you saw the new one. I know, it's, when I saw the new literally one... literally the same. Literally, my girlfriend told me, like, exactly when the movie that logo was starting. He's like, you know, it's basically Romeo and Juliet. I was like, thank you for the spoiler. Now I know what the movie's about. <laughs> they didn't do nothing about yeah, West Side but Story. it might have subverted your expectations with the ending. It's not exactly the same as Romeo and Juliet. That's true. It's not the same. That's true. Mm-hmm. Also, both uh, the remake of West Side Story is actually really, really good. 
It's really good. Had better than mm-hmm. any writing. Uh, it should have been terrible, but uh, Spielberg's good with remakes. I actually don't mind his. It's better than the Fablemans. I don't mind his remake of War of the Worlds. That movie's fucking amazing. Yeah, he's actually very good at making remakes, which is a hard thing to do. And he's only mm-hmm. done two of them. But uh, oh yeah, it's, I think it's... he's planning another one. I think he's gonna do a remake of a movie from the seventies. I forgot the title right now. Well, I'll look that up later. But oh yeah, it takes yeah. place in Verona Beach because in the play, this takes place in Italy, and it is, again, it's two families, um, and now it's Verona Beach. But Verona was the city where the play took place. And okay. Uh-huh. He even says, "I bite my thumb at these, sir." Um, Jamie Kennedy, who is uh, mm-hmm. he's got pink hair. And all these guys are like wearing shirts, but they're mainly shirtless. They're always also yes. very sweaty. Mm-hmm. And then we get a and focus on the pecs. There's a lot of focus on pecs, and I'm like Baz, what are you doing here? The other thing is Baz Lerman's weird tricks. Like the he's mm-hmm. got a lot of duck Dutch angles. He's got amazing Focusing production. on bright lights. A lot of bright he lights. He loves bright lights. And flashing mm-hmm. lights, yeah. Mm-hmm. He does this weird thing where he will speed up the footage and then mm-hmm. go back to regular footage. He did that in Novice, too, especially at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. But it feels definitely more mu- 90s music video in his early days because this is the second film of what is known as the Red Curtains trilogy. The first one, his directorial debut, and the second one, and the last one was Moulin Rouge. We'll we'll end up talking about Moulin Rouge eventually. I have a lot of mixed feelings that I've gotten in a lot of trouble for. I have I have a lot of I get in a lot and of it has trouble heartbreak. because of my opinions has, on that movie. And it has heartbreak on it. Don't stop it! Stop it! I, will, <laughs> I can't end this, but I will leave. Uh, <laughs> And, yeah, so um, I they they get John Lee Summer looks amazing. The makeup, the damn jacket, the weird haircuts. Mm-hmm, the weird like he's wearing like four pounds of gel in that hair. Benvolio's fucking flat. My top. God. And they have a brawl, but it's uh, broken up by the chief of police, Captain Prince, because in the play there was a prince of Verona that was like, hey. Stop fighting, because if you do, like in the movie, when he says, if this happens one more time, you're both screwed, you're exiled. Ah. But in this case, it's the police chief, played by Ben Urich from Daredevil, Vondi Curtis Hall, who is, he's very oh, good in this. interesting. The other thing I love is that you can tell which actors are trained actors, because they can read Shakespeare mm-hmm. well. The other ones, not necessarily. Yeah. And then I love the transition that we get into meeting Juliet and the way that her mom and the nurse move so fast. Like if you see some flash forward. The weird close-ups as well. That's another thing Baz Luhrmann does. And the worst thing that I hate, I hate his quick editing. Because he will just... And the snapping is the cut, 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 cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the time, it just cuts, zooms in. It's like that scene in Kung Pao where, you know, the... Imagine a, a full scene 
like that. But it's not done in a parody. I hate that so much. I hate his editing. Also, this is I don't remember this particular detail, but this is not going to ask you because you read the play. How old is Juliet and how old is Romeo? Ooh, yeah, we're about to get into some very problematic stuff, but you have to understand the story is over 400 years old. I had um, a feeling. Uh-huh. Juliet is supposed to be 13. Okay. Romeo is supposed to be 17. And then Paris, in this case, they give him a first name as well. They give the parents first names as well. In the, in the play, they're just Lord and Lady Capulet and Lord and Lady Montague. And, oh yeah, we, Ben is the cousin of Romeo, and they're trying to look for Romeo. And we get this weird uh, Dior commercial. If it was, only if it was in black and white. I expected Adam Driver to turn to a centaur at some point, or 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 Charlie Theron running on a on a hallway. That. Uh, but that's we, that we got our uh, Leonardo DiCaprio with his the same haircut that he has for Titanic, yes. and open shirt, Hawaiian open shirt, open shirt, very a lot of Hawaiian shirts for some reason. It feels like every freeze frame of Leonardo DiCaprio making a face or with his eyes, it feels like a cover for a Team Rap magazine. Because he's always squinting as well. Mm-hmm. He does that a lot. And it's literally the parents are like, hey, where's Romeo? And Benvolio goes to get Romeo. But we find out because Romeo is heartsick because he can't go meet with a woman named Rosalind, who he is infatuated with. I was going to ask you this because... Does Rosaline is in the play because she was technically not in the movie, right? She's not in the movie, but she is in the play. Okay. Uh, maybe for like a scene, like in seeing distance or whatever. She does nothing. And she's only there just to set up Juliet, which I love that uh, they all have their own territory and there's like a steady peace, but they just hate each other. They're like the Hatfields and the McCoys. You can't say one without the other. It's just a feud. It's bad blood. Nothing is going to stop it. These people hate each other so much. Or like, uh, oh, bringing back to the Huffies and McCoys, like the families in the movie Klaus, that they all kill each other every morning. Basically, yeah. It's it's the original feud. <laughs> the original family feud. And <laughs> then we learn that to get to Rosaline, just to get to talk to her, because he hasn't even talked to her, pussy. Um, Romeo's friends, led by Mercutio, his best friend, played by underrated actor Harold Perrinaw. And then it blows my mind when you told me this. That he's, that he's Michael from Lost? Yes. I'm like, oh my god, I didn't... That's why he looked familiar when I was watching the movie last night. Damn. Yeah, and he, all, he always had... He used to have very long hair. Not like the best, uh, the best man, uh, movies. Or the first one, he had like long dreads. He's a very tall man as well. But here, he's got like shorter, um, hair. Wait, wasn't he in the Matrix sequels? He was. He was. Yeah, that was like yeah, that was him in the Matrix sequels. Like I said, underrated actor Harold Perrinaw. He's mm-hmm. very versatile, as well. Also, he shows up when... first of all in drag. <laughs> uh huh. Which and I, also, technically, Paris is kind of like a politician in this version. Paris is the son of the politician. In the play, mm-hmm. he is uh, a governor. Mm, okay. Who's 35 and he wants to marry a 13-year-old. Gross. Especially the way that we, they say, the value in Paris seeks for your love. 
And I love that the nurse was like, go girl, go and see Happy Nights by Happy Days. And I was like, that's a good line. I was like, and then I also, I don't know if this is a reference to LA, but when the Mercutio entrance is a Sycamore Grove, there is a Sycamore Street here in LA. And I'm like, was that a reference to LA? (laughs) It is. Because they they go to the Capulets party. And keep in mind, um, they're not allowed because they're Montagues, but Mercutio got them tickets. And then Randy, I love his, this weird line that he says, oh, look out for the plot. And then be like, when they're looking for the... And I'm like, was that a meta joke? No, that's in the play. Nice! I didn't knew that. This Every single spoken word of dialogue is taken directly from the play. Oh, wow. And also, I really like Mercutio's line, young hearts run free. It's love a tender thing. I dream a, I dream a dream tonight. I'm like, Mercutio is slaying. That's that's Shakespeare. My God, that's a really good line. There's a lot of fa- very famous lines. You know, what light through yonder window breaks. And Juliet is the sun. That is the, the infamous balcony scene. It's a very good interpretation of the balcony scene. But you you know what I'm talking about. Anybody that, people that... It's like I said, people that didn't even read the play like me, we know by osmosis. We know um, even don't know a lot about Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they know you know of it. It's like that and to be or not to be from Hamlet. Everybody in the world knows about these things, but we get the crazy Moulin Rouge party because Mercutio in this version ends up giving um, Romeo some ecstasy, make it modern, I guess, and I guess that's the way they can get around Baz Luhrmann doing his. Lermanisms, which is basically what he does for Moulin Rouge. And this is technically like the way that Mercutio, Mercutio is dancing and performing. It feels like this is foreshadowing for uh, not for Moulin Rouge, but also for Great Gatsby. The way that the party is shot feels a lot like the party from Great Gatsby. How to make a party. Mm-hmm. And the, again, the production design and the costumes are so good. It's so beautiful. And we even say this, we even say this before recording. Damien Chassel is totally ripping up Bas Lerman styles in Babylon. There's a lot of Bas Lerman in Babylon. But he will always have more jazz than Bas Lerman. True. And that's another thing Bas Lerman does. He does covers of uh pop songs. Mm-hmm. But they actually fit really well into the plot. That's the weirdest part. He somehow makes them worse. Especially in Elvis. The way that he selected some people of today, it, it was mixed really well. He knows how to make a good soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And he is very much one of those directors where if you see his style, you know it's him. Imagine Bas Lerman's Twilight. That would have been a crazy, crazy movie. I know. <laughs> but what does happen is oh the iconic elevator scene romeo starts to get uh romeo starts to get Mm -hmm. overwhelmed and this is where he meets young juliet played by then unknown claire dane before she says she searched for terrorists in that show before my so-called life i think Mm -hmm. and before uh homeland Mm -hmm. not homelander homeland (laughs) and i really love it's just the fish tank the whole symbolism there. Oh, yeah. And we forgot to mention that Paris, who does nothing in this movie. He is not, nothing. He serves no purpose. In the play, he does serve. Paul Rudd, I'm pretty sure he was there for one day of shooting. The immortal Paul Rudd. Yes. 
this was like super young Paul Rudd too. So it's very weird seeing. This is technically around Clueless, right? It is around Clueless. I think mm-hmm. uh, they might have been the same year. And going back to Cl- Clueless, is an adaptation of Jane Austen. I guess if you wanted to do adaptations, Paul Rudd's your guy. Yeah. And so uh, I love that he's dressed like an astronaut. They're making him, uh, he's dancing. Yeah. They, th- so in the play, it's supposed to be a costume mm-hmm. party. And the reason why they're able to get in there is because, you know, they got to wear the masks mm-hmm. and stuff. And here, it's a literal, like, Halloween costume party. And Mercutio, of course, is the one that steals the show and grabs the attention. He is the party guy, very charismatic. And you know why he is Romeo's best friend. And there's a lot of homoerotic subtext between those two as well. Yes, there is. Again, this is all directly from the play. You will hear me say that a lot. And again, in West Side Story, it's very much riff. It's Mercutio, and Tony is Romeo. He is Romeo. There's a reason, like, if you call somebody a lovesick dude, you're like, okay, Romeo. There's a reason for that. I also... I love the line with their meeting in the in the fish tank, and after that, it was like I haven't seen true beauty until this tonight. My lips to shrug, pilgrims ready to touch, lips that must be used in prayer. Does my lips have been purged? And the way that they kiss in that elevator, oh wow! The elevator lining and the way that it closes the doors, that elevator feels so alive. The fact that uh, Julia is like dressed as like the innocent angel and Romeo, the knight in shining armor. It's used on the cover of the movie mm-hmm. for a reason. That it's a, it's the a angel very thing. famous image from the 90s. It'll go back to Twilight. Remember the wings in Robert Pattinson in the first Twilight? See, it all goes back to Twilight. <laughs> Shakespeare, baby. <laughs> yeah, but I love that. So the lion fell in love with the lamb. Lamb, yeah. And then when after they kiss, the Juliet goes with her mom, but then she notices that, oh, oh, Juliet is a capulet. And I was like, oh, no. And I love this. I was like, Leo, the way they portray Leo with his shock on his eyes, I was like, oh, my God, I fell in love with a Montague. And immediately, um, yep, Me- it's Mercutio. Like, oh, we're on opposing <laughs> sides. And I got to give. Leonardo DiCaprio, there's a reason why he became a superstar. He's very good. I love, he he really puts his all, because this movie also relies a lot on close-ups. It's also because Leo, Leo is one of the last great actors we have had of this generation. And that's why Leo is, is also because like... Yeah, but he's also a bit of a pervert, much like he turned into real-life Paris. Mm-hmm. Not only that... But it's also Date somebody your own age, you fucking perv. He's doing that thing that a lot of classy actors from the 40s and 50s and 30s doing of like, I don't care if I'm 60 or 70, I'm going to date a 20-year-old. I'm like, Leo, stop it. Somebody pointed this out. Uh, Pedro Pascal and uh, Bella Ramsey in The Last of Us. That's Leonardo DiCaprio and his current girlfriend. That's disgusting. Ew. Oh my God, Leo, stop it. But yeah, going back to, to the movie... And I love that the Romeo says, my only love sprung from my only hate. And and then we get into the balcony scene. And I love that technically the balcony scene is like Romeo has to scale so many damn different walls to get to the house. And we see the pool. And then it was the, and I love that 
Juliet says the, the line, oh, Romeo, my Romeo. Yep, Romeo, my Romeo, where art thou, my Romeo? Yeah, though love cannot stop me, no walls can do. The exchange of my one unfaithful vow of love tonight. And I'm like, damn, this is hot. I was like, I was like, a lot of this lyrics are really, it is hot. For she rises in the east and Juliet is the sun. There's a reason why people do this. Another great quote is, partying is such sweet sorrow that I shall say goodnight till it be morrow. That's from, that's from Mercutio. Mm-hmm. That's a good line. Shakespeare has one of, like, these nice nuggets. Oh, I love uh, Juliet's line. Do not swear by the moon, for she changes constantly. Then your love would also change. That is a good line, too. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're, he's trying not to get caught, and I love that there's a security system as well, and there's a pool. The whole thing with being submerged underwater and a lot of water. You get that weird thing where they're like under a bucket or whatever. Because Juliet has those shots as well. Gotta say, Claire Danes, not as good. You can tell that I feel like she's reading from cute cards. But Shakespeare is very hard to do. And Leo is chewing the scenery. No, and that's the thing. I was gonna, I thank you for bringing it up. I was like, Claire Danes, she does notice that she was, she didn't do a horrible job. But I was like, you don't notice that she had a hard time. But again, Shakespeare is the most difficult thing because it's pages and pages of dialogue. There's a reason why you got to be a very good actor to get this dialogue down, especially in like the time period it was written. Because it sounds ridiculous if you are not a good actor. And some people definitely do that. Jamie Kennedy is one of those guys. I love you, Jamie Kennedy, but you can't do Shakespeare. No, no, he can't. And I love when... John Leguizamo, though, can oddly do it very well. Because that's how they got kicked out of the party. Because Tybalt sees them and he's just like, oh, that's Romeo. He's uh, he's the Montague's son. Mm-hmm. And I love that Lord Captain's just like, fuck it. We can't do anything about it. Just let him go out. Just kick him out quietly as well. And then Mercutio thinks that he's trying to get with Rosalind. So he's just like, yeah, we'll see you later, buddy. Uh, oh, there's another great line that Romeo says, I believe. And it's, my bounty is as boundless as the sea. My love is deep. The more I give to thee, the more I have. For both are infinite. This is literally just for a girl that he just met. Yeah, because this is the other thing about the story. It's that classic thing of like, what will you be capable of for a woman that you just met? Is that Romeo and Juliet thing? But yeah, that brings us to the point where this is not true love. I don't think that's the point of the play. This is all infatuation. Mm-hmm. It's not true love, but it is a love. It is the love from two star-crossed lovers. That they were... The star-crossed lovers mm-hmm. cliche. Where, but it's not their enemies to lovers. It's, oh, I really like you. I really like you too. Hey, let's just get married. But you also understand because they're kids. They don't know any better. It's like that first love. It's puppy love. Thank you. I was gonna. I was looking for that term because it feels like a high school, like a middle school kind of romance. Where I was like, they just met. Maybe they're gonna be together for a week and then that's it. That they're done. But they don't know that. They don't know that. Especially because we know how the story goes. This story takes place in a very short period of time. It's like a week at most. Mm-hmm. Which, again, that's accurate to the play. Um, also, I really like the quiet version of When Doves Cry after this. Then we go into the there's friars a in the church. choir. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the black kid is the singer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also meet, uh, in this version, it's Friar or Father Lawrence. It's supposed to be Friar Lawrence. Played by the late Pete Postlethwaite and his cheekbones. And we did the last world. Mm-hmm. That's why I brought him up. 
He is the hunter from the Lost World. There's a reason why he wore that hat. The one that looks like Elvis. As well, because he had the Captain Picard. Going back to Baz Luhrmann. He says, the one that looks like Elvis. <laughs> yep. Yeah. He probably would have been in Elvis. He probably he probably would have been the colonel mm-hmm. had he survived. Yeah, he, he would have been the colonel. A lot better than what the hell, whatever the hell Tom Cru- uh, Hanks was doing. Uh Tom Hanks was having a time. Yeah, I love you, Tom Hanks, but your performance was awful. I kind of dig it, though. But yeah, I kind of agree. It's kind of awful, though. It's no. not good, though. From an actor standpoint, mm-hmm. it's not good. Uh, but anyway, he goes to the to the father and is just like, he can marry us. And the father is actually all for this because he's like, well, if you guys end up marrying, it's going to force a piece. Mm-hmm. Because that's a lot in history. A, a lot of ways to make an alliance was through marriage. Because what better uh, pact can you make? What better treaty can you make than becoming blood relatives? It's a pride and prejudice kind of like statement too as well. Because remember it was everything about between the daughters and where people, where they go to and the vow. Again, this story came from the the 1500s. Marriage was a very, very powerful tool to use back then. So yeah, the the father knows, hey, if I can get these two to marry, I don't even care that it's, they all know it's bullshit. But they're like, hey, if I can get these two to marry, it can stop all this fighting. Mm-hmm. And also it comes one of the lines that has been used in so many damn movies. And Westworld. This violent delights have violent ends. I mean, the triumph like with fire and powder, which thy kiss consume. Yes, that is one of the most famous. Mm-hmm. There's so many good lines. I mean, don't waste your love on somebody who doesn't value it. That right there, that's a great life lesson. Mm-hmm. Shakespeare was a, he was a pretty smart guy. That's technically the basis of the person being a wallflower, that line. Yeah. Because it goes back to Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd was in that movie. Yeah, he was the teacher. Remember the line from the person being a wallflower? It's poetry, right? Mm-hmm. It's so iconic for a reason. But soft what light through yonder window breaks, it is the east and Juliet is the sun. Right there. I mentioned it before. Mm-hmm. And yeah. You were saying, oh, Romeo, Romeo, where for art thou, Romeo. The whole thing is, if you just slow it down... And you really emphasize the certain words. It can be very powerful stuff. Because, you know, you just want to go like, oh, Romeo, oh, Romeo. But it's like, no, no, no. Just you slow it down. And, I mean, two of the fairest stars in all the heaven, having some business, do entreat her eyes to twinkle in their spheres till they return. I love the bass. It's kind of like playing with all of the settings, like in the beach. It feels like a music video. But we're in Juliet's house, it feels like you're in a play. And then we're in, in Romeo's place and like in between the bar or the the trailer park. It feels very realistic of like the present. I love that he's playing with all of this thing stuff from the movie because he wants to do the dialogue, but also wants to play with time. Because I the think there's not a lot of particular things that will make this movie like time accurate. Because there's stuff about TVs or cameras or reporters. There's a helicopter. There's a helicopter, but it's also the dialogue and the thing I'm talking about, Source. This movie is like in its own time paradox. But it's also, it's the first movie that did that. There is a movie called Titus that Julie Taymor did. It's actually very similar where it is, it's actually one of Shakespeare's darkest plays. It's based on, it's uh, Titus Andronicus and it's Anthony Hopkins. It's a great movie. And it has this sort of modern twist and stuff, crazy hairstyles, and they she, they speak in Shakespeare limerick. 
I mean, if you want to see Anthony Hopkins and Jessica Lang absolutely kill it, yeah, watch Titus. That Ti- sounds like a good time. So yeah, mm-hmm. also recommend Titus. It's one of Julie Taymor's best movies. She's the woman that did the Broadway production of The Lion King, which that's one of the best Broadway productions. And we could do a whole month about her because she both has some of the coolest movies like Across the Universe and Frida and then some terrible movies like her version of The Tempest, which is also Shakespeare. And it is terrible. Oh, wow. I didn't know she did The Tempest. Yeah. I love also when Romeo meets with his friends again. Uh, I mean, even... I think of the Mercutio line, which I have uh, brought up here, which is, you are a lover, borrow Cupid's wings, and soar with them above a common ground, or bound. Because they're just like, we all know that Romeo is just a player. He doesn't know what real love is, and that's fine. He encourages it. Because it's Mercutio's bringing it up. That was like a, like, bitch, you just met this girl, and you're gonna put up all of this fighting... Just because of her. Yeah. A lot of people say that this mo- uh, this play is about love, which it is. But there's also... Did you notice a lot of uh, themes? Different themes. Mm-hmm. Like with choice, fate is a big thing. Destiny is a big thing. Death is always a big thing in Shakespeare. Prejudice? between The prejudice between both families? I mean, yeah. You brought it up earlier. These violent delights have violent ends. There's a reason we use these quotes. Mm-hmm, there is a reason. And this is the moment when Makushu gets angry, right? When he says, forbear this outrage, and those are a villain or Romeo. And uh, he says, I play on both of your houses. Oh, no, no, no. We're, we're skipping around a lot. Oh, sorry. But what happens is... It's because I was so mesmerized with the movie, though, because this was my first time watching it. So I got some lines, some lines of the movie. Because so the was... whole thing was, okay, I want to marry this girl, but you got to pass the message along to Juliet because how's she going to get it? You're not supposed to see each other, right? Ah, but that's where the nurse comes in. The nurse, uh, Miriam Margulies, who is always just great. She's doing a weird, like, Spanish accent. And Paul Sorvino is also doing a hammy... I, I think that's just how Paul Sorvino, like, talked and stuff. Uh, very Italian. Makes sense. Also, you can say that maybe... That family was more like a Scarface kind of house. It was. I got mad Scarface vibes. And then you get to the Montagues where we don't see their house, but we see this very clean limo and stuff. And Lord and Lady Lady Montague are very much like newspaper tycoons. That's a really good point. That's true. We never saw that house. That's a really good point. Mm -hmm. But you don't need to. Um, what does happen is that the the nurse gets word to Juliet, and she goes under the guise of, oh, I'm going to confession. And then that's where we get the Does Cry uh, cover, and they get married. As well as, you know, Tybalt, he sees Mercutio and Romeo at the beach, and R- Romeo is just like, no, I will not slay my kinsman now because now he's married and Tibble's just having none of it he keeps antagonizing them and he challenges romeo to a duel he beats the crap out of him for a bit but then mercutio's just like hold on bro i got this for you and then they end up having a quote-unquote sword fight which is just a crazy shootout but what does happen is again west side story stole this uh romeo tries to stop the fight and 
Mercutio would have killed Tybalt, but what does happen is Tybalt gets the upper hand and he stabs Mercutio. And they're like, Mercutio, what's up? And he goes, it's but a scratch. It's but a scratch, but a scratch. And again, he's very charismatic and he's just smiling and everything. And again, Harold Perrinant, very hot in this movie. And he looks down and then, like you said, the famous a plague on both your houses, which I use all the time. It's it's such a great like final words where he's just like essentially fuck you and fuck fuck you both. I hope you both uh both your families get bad fortune. Karma's gonna hit you. Because yeah. And when the storm starts, what a beautiful shot of like Romeo hoarding Mercutio. What a beautiful shadow! Like the the lightning and the in the water and the in the in the wind. My God, that's a beautiful shot in this movie. I love how Tybalt is shocked that he did it as well. I'm like, yeah, you run away with your stupid soul patch and everything. And then Leo does really well with uh, emotion, like crying. He really pours his all into that. Like you feel his anguish. That's what makes it work. Well, not only that because. Leo was technically still a teenager when he made this movie. So he's portraying the teenage version of Romeo because he's a teenager. Well, Romeo is a teenager, so that makes it work. He was a 40-year-old man like Leonardo DiCaprio now, who's almost 50. That would not work. That would be the Ryan Murphy version. (laughs) Oh, but what does happen is he's so enraged that, first of all, he crashes the car with Tibble in it and then he shoots him and I, I thought of Scarface when he falls into the fountain mm-hmm. it's like the end of Scarface yeah and then what happens is Captain Prince he banishes Romeo from the city because he killed Tibble and I love that someone says Romeo must die and I'm like is that that, that Jet Li movie <laughs> Romeo must die <laughs> I know I was like uh, and I was like, there is no world without Verona's walls. I, I love when, like, this kind of, like, random line. What well, says my counsel, lady of our forbidden love? That's a really good line, too. I really like that. But I love that every time that Captain Prince shows up, it's always the focus that he's a cop and a lot of helicopters and a lot of patrols. He has this authority about him. Like, he's so in control. And... Vonnie Curtis Hall is also very good at delivering these lines. He's so pissed at these guys. He's just like, hey, I told you guys this is going to happen. He knows it's going to end badly because that's how fighting works. And he know, he, But also it's interesting how they respect each other, even though all three of them, they share a few. All three parties. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. The, cap, the captain has the power. They have a begrudging respect. They're like, all right, fine. I don't like you, but... Like you said, they do respect each other on a on a certain level. What does happen is the nurse is also just like, hey, while they're gone, Juliet's in her room and her weird. Another weird thing is there are way too many candles in this movie. I was expecting this whole place to just burn down. I'm just going to say that this thing about candle was a staple in the 90s in a lot of music videos. Madonna did it. It is such a fire. Madonna did it. Michael Jackson did it. R.A.M. did it. Even Tony Braxton did it. Like, so many people think about the candles. No, 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 I know, but I just got to point it out because it's such a fire hazard. But, you know, I think that it came into my mind talking about a scene playing with candles. It was like a, a Satan's Alley, Robert Downey Jr. with Tobey Maguire. 
<laughs> Leo's best friend. Coming up very bad, bad boy father. <laughs> yeah, I was expecting a music video. Well, we sort of get one at the very end, but what does happen in this scene, we get the Romeo and Juliet consummating the marriage to make it official scene. And here I call it the sheet scene because we get the ridiculous, silly sheets. And we know it's like all lovey-dovey. I was expecting the American Beauty thing at the end. No nudity. No nudity. No nudity. I was impressed with the... This movie's barely a PG-13. I know it's PG-13, but I'm like, this could have been a PG from the if 80s. it's anything, it's just more violent with the gun stuff. That's really it. There's not really much cursing because, again, it directly takes the Shakespeare limerick. That could turn a lot of people off. Only sometimes does it work. And Juliet's father is just like, you're going to marry Paris. And because she's crying and stuff, because, again, Romeo just killed her cousin. And she's actually kind of okay with it because she loves Romeo more. And that's why she decided to let him, you know, uh, stick it in there. And then you can get that thing that in a lot of movies and shows, they always say love is blind. Love can blind you. That is the that is the definition of love is blind is from this play especially, which everyone was like crazy about West Side Story. Like, oh, isn't it crazy? I'm like, isn't it crazy in Romeo and Juliet when that happens? Yeah, it's not as intimate as a brother, but you could still have a intimate. I mean, it's a family member. You can be very close with your cousins. What does happen is that. He sees Juliet, she is still grieving and stuff. She's crying, but she's mainly crying because, oh, I can't really be with Romeo. And, you know, he killed my cousin. I don't know how to feel about that. So Lord Capulet, piece of shit <laughs> moment for him. But he's like, you're going to marry Paris. Because if you marry the governor's son, in this case, we're going to get a lot of power. And it's just, it's just going to be nuts. So welcome to the family. You're going to marry him. And she's just like, no, I'm not. And then he's like, yeah, you will. Or I'm going to exile you and I'm going to beat you. Lady Capulet tries to do something about it. She sounded very Southern for some reason. Especially because I love this kind of, because Romeo says it. And the way that Juliet is crying about it is she goes with, with Romeo. That it feels like Verona is his own world and there's nothing aside of it. And also it feels when Romeo goes away and there's only RVs in a, in a desert. That's a really interesting thing that they're playing about. I, that's the thing I was going to ask you in the play because it's just the town of Verona, right? In Italy, right? And there's a, there's outside of Verona, which is where the Friars Church is, which is where the climax happens. But, oh yeah, no, he did beat her. I forgot. Yeah, Juliet runs away and seeks out uh, Father Lawrence. And he, she, she asks for him to help her. So he's like, okay, well, I get, I'm also an alchemist, apparently. So I'm going to give you this potion that'll slow your heart rate down and it will make you appear as though you have died. So you're just going to take it literally the night before you're supposed to get married and you're going to fake your death so you can run away with Romeo. But then what happens is it does work, but Romeo's servant... Uh, Balthazar, or no, 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 his cousin Balthazar comes and says, oh, shit, Juliet just died, Romeo. You can't really... But he didn't get the letter of the friar. Yeah, 
And here that is the same thing with the play. This whole thing could have been avoided if they had cell phones. But it's a good thing that it was in the 90s because this whole thing could have been avoided because this was all just miscommunication. There was barely a, a, not even a regular phone. No one was using a phone right in this movie. I remember. Because it would have. It would have ruined everything. Added a plot, plot hole. Yeah. And it made sense 500 years ago or 400 years ago because there's no such thing as a phone. But they had cameras, though. And this this whole thing, they didn't have cameras. Not not 15. They sort of did. Yeah, it's, it's very weird. They pick and choose whatever they want. But the whole thing is Romeo is now just absolutely heartbroken. It goes to see Juliet at this, the My Chemical Romance Helena set with so many candles. So many little candles. I'm surprised that Claire Danes didn't I'm get I'm surprised burned. nothing caught my on god. fire. Yeah. But, my god, is it beautiful? Oh, that's another thing with Baz Luhrmann. Neon. Very similar, you can sell with this and Moulin Rouge. They, they really do work hand in hand. And this is the other thing that I was saying before we record. I'm like, god, I miss when movies had like so much love of, of production design. Because especially this final scene, you can pause it and you can print that and that could be a poster. The way that Claire Danes is shot between all of those beautiful candles in the church in that hallway with all of those like neon blue crosses. My God. Beautiful. Damn. Again, the costumes are great. The The soundtrack, also very good. But this, Baz Luhrmann's production design and cinematography is what I love most about him. He can make a movie. When Leo saw his knees crying and screaming to the sun that's a beautiful shot too i mean yeah so what happens is romeo who's since been exiled from the city he goes to uh sleep next to juliet and takes the poison because he he bought poison because he's gonna kill himself because you know if i don't have juliet i'm gonna die without her because i'm so heartbroken and with the kiss i die glug 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 kisses her just as she's waking up, she's like Romeo, and he even sees it, and then he's just like, "Oh, well, the shit, irony!" I'm dead. Love you, Blah. And then, in this case, you know, oh, happy dagger. In this case, it's a lot more gruesome because it's a gun. So she shoots herself in the head. Yeah, in the play, she stabs herself, Ugh. and they both die in each other's arms. So in the play, I want to bring up Paris since he did nothing in this. Paris is grieving outside of the... Oh, no, no, no. It's in the family crypt. So they actually did change it. Here it's in the church. But in the in the play, it's the, the Capulet family crypt. Paris was outside of the crypt, still mourning Juliet. And comes across Romeo. They get in a fight, and Romeo actually kills Paris. So that's what happens in the play. And then the same thing happens where he goes into the crypts, he poisons himself, and then Juliet wakes up. Sees that he's dead and then kills herself. Oh, that would have been an interesting scene. And then both families show up because they know they're both there. And they're going to fight again. And then the prince, much like the captain, is just like, can you both just stop it? Look what it's cost you. It's cost you your daughter and your son. Capulets get it worse because they lost not only uh, Juliet, but they also lost Tybalt. That's two family members. Whereas Mercutio wasn't a Montague. He was just a friend of the family. But they both lost their heirs and their children. So that was a big thing. And then they agree not to fight anymore. 
that's the whole thing about karma and the destiny. You knew it was coming. They stopped, but it was already too late. That's the whole tragedy behind it. And as the news reporter or the narrator says, for never was a story filled with more woe than that of Juliet and her Romeo. And, and I love that it comes out from the TV and then it just turns off. Like it's a whole news report. Like even how they get wheeled out in the body bag, uh, body bags and stuff with the helicopter. It's, it's actually a very, very faithful adaptation, and I really liked it. This big chaotic episode that's even more chaotic. Yeah. Um, I ha- honestly I have no notes because the thing I didn't read the play number one. For me, this is a movie. I would have loved seeing this in theaters. This movie looks like my God. This movie looks. Beautiful. It's a beautiful movie to look at. And like we said, the soundtrack is amazing. The performances. My, the, my only nip would be the stupid facility in the first act of the movie. But I'm like, that didn't bother me that much because I'm like, that's Baz Luhrmann. He's doing himself. Yeah, that's the only thing is uh, the party stuff at the Capulets. Although, again, Mercutio in the, in the drag just absolutely crushing it. He's literally the center of the frame and of attention. Um, that's great. But the weird fast editing, and I felt like I was going to have a seizure, but I felt like Romeo at the same time, but you're supposed to feel that way. That makes more sense than Moulin Rouge, which is just, I feel like that movie is just more style over substance. Although it does have, it has great musical numbers, has some of the best production design I've ever seen in any movie, but the story in that, and it's a mess, but it's a fun mess. So I think this movie is much better than Moulin Rouge. I will fight people. I don't love Moulin Rouge as much as others. Uh, I think it's overrated technically Ooh, for me. That's I don't think it's terrible. Mm-hmm. I just think it's very overrated. Um, so, but wait, you, here I was very pleasantly surprised. Okay, because you have seen Moulin Rouge. Um, which, one, which one is better, Moulin Rouge or Elvis? Ooh, that's a tough one. I think Elvis is just the better movie. But the better music was, and I say this as an Elvis fan. I grew up with Elvis. Um, I say the better music is Moulin Rouge. Like, there's a reason it was made into a musical. I I still think, but as a better movie was Elvis. It's still Baz Luhrmann, but that's, it's like a biopic, but it's with a Baz Luhrmann flair. It's that Elvis and Rocket Man are do biopics like that. Yeah, Rocket Man is insane. I love it. Do both mm-hmm. of those. Just go crazy. Don't be afraid. Don't sugarcoat it. Tell the mm-hmm. truth for the most part. And don't pull a Bohemian Rhapsody or I Want to Dance with Somebody, where it's just yeah. very, very standard. By the numbers. By the numbers for people that don't deserve that. People that and deserve And I'm pretty sure that Michael Jackson movie is going to be by the numbers. It's going to be predictable as hell. I don't want to see that. It sounds mm-hmm. terrible. Oh, and you... we got some interesting casting that could have happened. Oh, tell me. Natalie Portman was originally cast as Julie. <gasps> but there's a reason. There's a big reason here. Uh, they thought she looked too young for the part. And the footage looked as though DiCaprio was molesting her. The uh, Quote unquote, he wasn't actually doing it. But Lerman say that Portman was too young at the time and it made DiCaprio look older than intended because at that time he was 21 years old and 
she was 14. So there is the big Yeah, he's, he's kind of right, though. So <laughs> that was the right move, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Sarah Michelle Geller actually turned it down due to scheduling <gasps> conflicts. Um, DiCaprio was the one that lobbied for Danes to get the part because he felt she was genuine in her line delivery and wasn't acting all flirty or anything, was just trying to say the lines as best she could. Sarah Michelle Geller as Juliet. Damn. I think both of them would have been good. You know what? I don't mind Claire Danes, though. Mm-hmm. She definitely grew as an actress as time has gone on. You know what? I'm not surprised that you're not seeing in the trivia. I wonder if Jennifer Love Hewitt tried to audition for this role. She might have. Who knows? Oh, you know another one? Uh, uh, Michelle Williams. She. This was before Dazzle's Creek. Hmm. Maybe. Just maybe. Katie Holmes. Oh, Katie Nothing Holmes is really that I can see that... is behind that, but everybody else was just like, um, pretty much cast how they were supposed to. The big thing was just Juliet. With that, you just want to rate this thing, or how did you feel about uh Romeo plus Juliet? Because this film was a hit. This was my first time seeing it technically because I saw Parcel when I was a kid, so I barely remember it. I like this movie. I liked it a lot. Like honestly. Next time I go to the thrift store or Black Friday, I'm not going to buy this movie. It is a really good movie. I just got to say, I was... Um, I'm, I'm very happy to hear you say that. I will give it a 9. It's a really good movie. I cannot say that really? this is a 10 or a 11, but this is a really good movie. I need to see it again, though. It has all the things that you want in a story. For your taste, I know that. You want a dark ending, the whole tragedy mm-hmm. and stuff. There's a reason Telenovela why... Telenovela acting... That's what they get it from. This is like the textbook definition of where it came from. So they're all technically ripoffs. And there are so many goddamn Romeo and Juliet uh, interpretations. I mean, we even get Nomeo and Juliet, which is also just terrible. New Moon did it. There was that show on the CDW called Starcross. There's a Rosaline movie with that girl from Booksmart that I haven't seen. Yeah, it's been done to death so many times. But there's that also shows why it's an enduring classic. You can make fun of it all you want, and yeah, there is a lot to make fun of. But there is a reason why it has stood the test of time. For At least story-wise, that's why a lot of Shakespeare stuff... I mean, stories take from that format. Mm-hmm. And I think Baz Luhrmann did a great job translating it. The Shakespeare limerick can be very distracting. It's like they say, it's a tell us all this time. <laughs> I'm pretty sure even if the world gets destroyed, an alien race will find a version of Romeo and Juliet, and they're going to know about Shakespeare. I mean, his two most famous, it's one of his most famous plays. This is one of his most famous tragedies. It's that in Hamlet. Obviously, Hamlet is considered his best work, but... Yeah, I really think it's a good adaptation. And honestly, this is... I'm not the biggest Baz Luhrmann fan either. People are very surprised when I say that, considering how much I love Zack Snyder. And you could argue that Baz Luhrmann is a better filmmaker than Zack Snyder. I don't really care. I just think... But I just like the stylized choices Zack Snyder does more than I do Baz Luhrmann. That doesn't think that doesn't mean I think Baz Luhrmann is untalented or a hack or 
just a terrible filmmaker. No, I think he's great. They have really different styles, but that's the thing. We said it before. It's a preference. Both both Baz Lerman and Zack Snyder, they get accused of the same crime. They choose more style over substance. Very much so. But I love that. That's that. I love that about Baz is because he does swing for the fences. He just does his own thing. Not many filmmakers you can say that do that. They swing for the fences. They're ambi- they're very ambitious. And that's why this movie felt special. And that's why I, you have noticed, if you have listened to this podcast for years, uh, the directors that we like the most are the most divisive or the ones they do whatever the fuck they yeah, want. Yeah, and th- a lot of them do misses because since they swing for the fences, it can very much miss. This is not one of those times. This is where a big gamble really paid off in this case. This movie was made for $14 million. I think they used the budget really, really well. Because mostly it was just for costumes and production. I know I was going to say 14? That movie, I, that movie looked like 70 from the 90s. Damn. That was a really good way to use your budget. Oh, sorry, 14 and a half. Ah, how much did the movie made? $147.6 million. So that's very much a good hit. And this is technically a Disney movie now. Because a Fox and this movie. was in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So you can just imagine. That's like a good $500 million mm-hmm. Based on like a $30 million maybe. And because of this movie, James Cameron has to thank this movie too. Because all of the people that love this movie went to see Titanic. Because of Leo. Yeah, this is the thing that made Leo a heartthrob. And Titanic is the thing that made him an actor. I mean, he already was those things. There was a reason that like, he was getting all these roles. I think the closest person you could say about that now is probably Timothy Chalamet, where he's sort of a heartthrob and does all these serious movies. And he's not doing that thing of like doing immediately like a TikTok or like a Netflix yeah, movie. Yeah, but he's not phoning it in. He's, not he's phoning just it in. dedicated to his craft. Even if you lo- love him or hate him, you cannot fall. I see Timothy Chalamet as the next Leonardo DiCaprio. There's a couple people that are like that, but that they take their craft seriously. That kid, that kid that is in the benches of Finnish Sheeran, I forgot the, the name of that Oh, kid. Barry Keegan. He looks like he's going to be the next big thing, too. He's definitely going to be one of those actors' actors. You know, I can definitely see an Oscar for him. Same thing with Chalamet. But we're the fact that we're talking about people like that, there's not many people. I know you don't like her, but Florence Pugh is very much one of those actresses that she takes her job seriously. I have though. to acknowledge her. Yes, I don't like her, but yes, she looks yeah, like she's going like to be the acting, next big thing. Mm-hmm. But there's a reason that she's getting all this work. You know what? I like this girl. Anya Taylor-Joy. She looks like she has a bright future ahead. Anya Taylor-Joy is also getting a lot of... There's a lot of people that are getting And she worked with the vice directors and I shaman and the guy from The Witch. Oh, Robert Eggers? Yeah. Oh, boy. If we talked about Robert Eggers. <laughs> or The Norman. The Norman was a good movie. I can admit that. It's the that. one Robert Eggers movie that you do like. Mm-hmm. And it's also probably the one Robert Eggers movie that I like. Um, but the whole difference is that Leonardo DiCaprio, he's, he's never done a franchise. Not really. Unless you want to count all the films with Martin Scorsese as a franchise. But that's the thing about modern people is... They do like a superhero movie or like a franchise. For every Call Me By Your Name, you get a Dune. Or like with Anya. For, for every, she, like... She did um, The Witch, but then she did Splitting Glass. But that was a small franchise. 
Yeah, or in this case now, Super Mario Brothers movie, mm-hmm. uh, you get the menu, stuff like that. <sighs> or for, again, Florence Pugh, for every uh, Black Widow, you get a like a Midsommar, Midsommar? Li- Little Women, stuff like that. They can balance big budget blockbusters. She has a future, don't with, worry, darling. Don't with, worry, Florence. <laughs> with like serious, <laughs> like yeah. actor-driven pieces. They're mm-hmm. finding the balance between that. And I like that they're doing that. And just now we're getting people of color that are doing that. Jenna mm-hmm. Ortega is the biggest example. She's Kaluuya? really blowing up. Kaluuya's blowing up too. Dan Kaluuya, Dev Patel. There's a lot of big actors and actresses that are given these chances. And when we get to the main. You know, if, we, if we get movies oh. like Romeo plus Julia, if, so long as we get filmmakers like that. Mm-hmm. that will take those chances. Mm-hmm. It's all done in the name of love. So this whole long-winded point does have uh, a purpose, is what I'm trying to tell you. And for that, I gotta give this movie also a 9. This is, like, I think this is my second favorite Baz Luhrmann. I still think Elvis, so far, I was so impressed with Elvis. It is the best Baz Luhrmann film I have seen in a long time. Or uh, it might be my favorite Baz Luhrmann movie. Do you need to see Gatsby in Australia? That's gonna be interesting. No, I've for seen you. Australia. Australia is terrible. <laughs> Not the country, the movie. Is, and we're gonna Baz get Luhrmann's the worst. Baz Luhrmann cut of Australia for Hulu. I think I'm it's not like gonna watch it. I think it's like gonna be like six, seven hours. He said. I'm not gonna watch it. <laughs> I hate that movie so much. Oh yeah. I don't care if Nicole, if your girl Nicole Heartbreak is in it. That was <laughs> a terrible Heartbreak. movie. That that was a terrible movie, and that is the worst thing Baz Luhrmann has ever done. And I say this as somebody that's not even the biggest fan of Moulin Rouge, but this is uh, this is one of his best works for sure. Ah, okay, this What's was that? this was really good, but and also, oh, I'm what gonna, are we doing next month? We're gonna do. Ooh, it's your birthday. Hmm. What are we doing? Oh yeah, wait. The it's Snyder Part Two, right? It is. We're covering the rest of Zack Snyder's filmography. Ah! Well, most of it. Most we're going to yeah. talk about the uh, the elephants in the room mm-hmm. for another time. Ah, yeah. So we're covering all the stuff that's not his DC properties. Mm-hmm. All, all four of them. It's the, a good thing he doesn't have a super long filmography. There's some owls in that mo- in that in that filmography. But yeah, we're doing Snyder Month Two. It's it's gonna be crazy. Oh yes, it's gonna be crazy, especially because I had never seen Sucker Punch. It's gonna be so Ooh, interesting. Yeah. We're gonna have a quite the discussion. That's gonna be a field. You day. might be surprised mm-hmm. about some of my opinions. Ooh. Shows that that will be some of them are not not as positive as you will expect from me. Interesting. What does it think? Even for me with Shaman, I cannot defend Lady in the Water. <laughs> so. Oh, we talk about that. That that, <laughs> that, in, that movie enrages me. <laughs> I that is that is the second worst movie uh, that we have ever done on this podcast. The two worst movies we did are both Shyamalan films, and I feel so bad because I know how much you love him. I know, but that's, that's just a, how I feel. No, and I respect your opinion. That's okay, but I cannot defend Lazar Vendor and 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 fucking Lady in the Water. <laughs> Well, it's not the worst film that you have, though. 
I'll still never understand your hatred of Rogue One. I acknowledge it, but I will never understand it. That movie, you are the only person in the world that hates that movie. There's some people that so I know. much. There's some yeah, not as much as you though. There are people that don't like it, but they don't hate it. I mean, absolutely hate everything about it. I hate it with a passion. I know, and I will never understand that. But I applaud you for having it mm-hmm. and that opinion and sticking by it. Until then, we're gonna get people find you, buddy. Thanks for joining us on this month of love. What a what a perfect movie to end this month with. It's too bad we didn't do it on Valentine's Day, but we did Charlie's Angels to make it. Ah, oh, Charlie's Angels. Those are classics. But yeah, as always, you can find me at RollBearRDC on Twitter, Instagram, and on Letterboxd. At RollBearRDC and also on TikTok. Please also follow the podcast on SYNS Pod if Elon doesn't charge us the eight months for, for it. And you, Billy? Yes, you can follow me on Letterboxd and Twitter at MasterofPuns196. Every word starts with a capital letter. You can also follow me on Instagram at Billy Batson's Lightning. Nothing is capitalized. And you can give us a five star and just write a review on apple podcasts yeah all three of you (laughs) as well as listen to us on google stitcher spotify soundcloud anchor wherever podcasts can be listened to and as always see you next summer oh die romeo